Well, we're going to be going into a parable this morning where the slaves ask uh, their owner, the owner of the field, this question. Sir, where did the weeds come from? Where did the weeds come from? And who has, at some point or another, asked this question? I think all of us have, right? We may not have used these exact same words, or we may have not spoken them out loud, but no doubt everyone has at some point asked this question. I mean, maybe you've read the news or or watched news this week or previous weeks, and you're wondering how come there's so much evil around us, and when is this going to end? It's just one headline after the next, one bad thing after the next. Rumors and actual wars, all kinds of shootings. We see the prosperity of wickedness as different religions that are competing right, with Christianity, they seem to be prospering. More and more people seem to be falling prey to error that is out there. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you have actual names of people, your loved ones, who are enticed by the world this very moment, enslaved to doctrines that are not biblical, teaching that is contrary to scripture, and you're asking yourself, When is this going to end? You're raising your kids in this very hostile world, and you're scared. Why? Because you know of parents who have lost their children, and they're gone now, submitting themselves to other teaching and other influences other than Jesus Christ. There is so much evil around us. When is this going to end? Well, I want to invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're looking at the second parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And in this parable, Jesus addresses this major concern. It was a concern of the first testament or the first century Jew, namely this delay of justice, this delay of punishing the wicked. The the immediate natural reaction of the people of Jesus' proclamation of the presence of the kingdom was to wonder, uh, if the kingdom is here, Jesus, how come there's so much evil? When are you going to punish sin? When are you going to judge the world? Remember in, in Matthew chapter 11, John, the very same John, John the Baptist, who is in prison he sends letter or he sends his two messengers to Jesus and he's wondering, are you the one? Why is he asking that question? Well, because he, like every other Old Testament saint, is expecting the fulfillment of Zechariah 14.9, which says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth and in that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. In other words, when the king comes, there is no more competition. But we see a lot of competition. What is happening? Is the true king? Is the expected one, the anointed come, the anointed one, is he here? They were expecting complete removal of all who opposed the Lord. So to find out that the kingdom would be 
or that the king would tolerate evil while he is present among them was just radical for them. It was not revealed in the Old Testament. And so last time we looked at this parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, and we found out that not everyone will respond to the message of the kingdom, right? There will be those who will oppose it. They will be those who will pretend like they know it, and then they will fall away from it. But the Lord encourages his disciples that, listen, there will be those who will receive it, but not everybody. Well, right now, right now in this parable, they find out that the evil ones who do not receive the word of the kingdom, they will not be destroyed immediately. They will remain living together side by side with the sons of the kingdom until the last day, until the day of judgment. I want us to read this parable and we'll get into it uh, for the remainder of our time. We'll begin with verse 24. Matthew 13, verse 24 says this, Jesus presented another parable to them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner, landowner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do, do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, no. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And we'll skip the next few verses. We'll go to verse 36, the explanation of this parable. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. And here's what I want us to hear this morning. Here's what this passage presents for us. That it's a, it's a call for the believers. It's a call for his disciples. And it's a call for us. Christian, do not be surprised at the abundance of evil around you. Instead, be encouraged. Because through Christ, you will persevere to the end and he will punish evil in due time. Do not be surprised that there is evil around you. And not just any evil, abundance of evil. And it seems to be getting worse with each day that we find ourselves here living on earth. 
Don't be surprised at that. But be encouraged that you will persevere through Christ. You will reign with him in glory and evil will be punished and judged. Now, despite, friends, despite the presence of nasty weeds, and nasty weeds, as we will find out here, they can be all kinds of religions, they can be all kinds of people, it could be just general evil, the crop will mature. That's the promise for us. God's crop, Christ's crop, will bring fruit. God's people will not be overcome by evil. So I want us to look at uh, this parable here uh, with really three headings. Number one, we're going to look at the parable. Number two, we're going to look at the promise. And number three, we're going to consider some of the principles. First of all, the parable, the promise, and then some of the principles. Number one, the parable then. And, and here's the parable. Here is the emphasis. Don't be surprised at the abundance of evil. Don't be surprised. In verse 24 here, Matthew here, he continues his record of Christ's discourse. And he writes, Jesus presented to them another parable. This word present means that he laid before them. He prepared. And oftentimes this word here um, is used of someone preparing a meal and placing it before those who would eat. Like in Mark 8 and, and Acts 16, someone prepared a meal and presented for consumption. And so it, it, it indicates something that's been carefully prepared for someone to consume. And here, Christ prepares this parable, carefully prepares this parable for, his, for the crowds and then for his disciples to consume and to meditate on. He offered the parable to them, it says. To them, who are the them? Where the them here in, in verse 13, uh, or in chapter 13, verse 1, for instance, them are the crowds. And large crowds gathered, verse 2, to him. And he spoke many things to them in parables, verses 1 through 3. We also find out that in verse 10, for instance, same thing is offered them to the crowds. Verse 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. Them refers to the crowds. Now, remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago that these parables, they're meant to do two things. They're meant to conceal truth from some, from the crowds, and they're meant to reveal truth to some, to the disciples. And so as Jesus here presents these parables in general, people are hearing the words, but they can't really understand the concept. They don't understand the mysteries of the kingdom. And it is only to the disciples that he will give private explanation of the parable here. And he begins the parable as is typical with parables through a means of comparison. So he says here, the kingdom of heaven is like, and here, if we just stop, right, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man. He's not comparing the kingdom of heaven to a man necessarily, but to the situation that this man finds himself in, the whole thing, right? So we don't compare the kingdom of heaven to the owner alone, but to the entire situation that is described here in this parable. Now, three things are presented for us, and I want us to just real quickly go through them and then we'll get into uh, the explanation. Three things, the good, the evil, and the surprising here. Notice this. A man sowed a good seed in his field. A man. A man owned the field. And as any good owner, 
He wanted to plant good seed in his field so that he would get a good return on his crop. So he selects good seed, he plants it, and he is expecting a particular crop. Good seed will bear good fruit. And that's all we're told about this man. Now, the evil. While men were sleeping, but while his men were sleeping. You know, oftentimes you read the New Testament and, and in some context, sleeping pictures laziness. It, it pictures apathy, ultimately sin, right? But, but here, however, uh, the men are sleeping not because they are lazy or because they're negligent, but because it's nighttime. That's all it's saying. Okay, he's not pointing to the wickedness or the laziness of man. Like, if they were awake, none of this would have happened. No, he's just simply saying, it was nighttime, and normal people at night sleep while men were sleeping. And under the cover of night, something evil happens. The enemy crept, he says, crept into the field and sowed something else in the place where the owner had sown good seed. He sows what we, are, what we read here, tares or weeds. If you have ESV, they uh, translate this word weed. Now, D.A. Carson says this about this particular plant or this particular weed. He says what he sowed, what the enemy sowed was zizania. That's the original word, weeds. Almost certainly bearded darnel, which is botanically close to wheat and difficult to distinguish from it when the plants are young. Young. The root of the two plants entangled themselves around each other, but when the heads of grain appear on the wheat, there is no doubt which plant is which. So very close to the original, but not the original seed, right? And this, this wheat here, or this weed rather, it would be prevalent in those days. So anybody who heard this parable, they would understand what Jesus is saying. They would pick up on the comparison. You can't tell them apart until a particular season, a season of harvest, when both are ready to be harvested. That's the only time that you can actually tell the difference between the two. They are very similar. They are very alike. And obviously, you have to separate the two. There is a problem because this darnel here, it contained a poisonous substance too. So if you were to just reap the whole thing, and if you were to grind it and, and bake bread or something like that, it would make you sick and it would, you would die as a result of it. Now, what the enemy did here was what many call agricultural sabotage. Look with me at verse 25. While the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed. This word sowed is a bit different from the sowing of the good man or the owner in verse 24. It literally means that the enemy comes in and he sows on top of. Like the good owner, he sowed seed, good seed, and then the enemy comes in and he sows on top of the good seed. It was malicious in nature. And it's interesting that as I was reading different resources throughout the week in, in preparation for this, I, I came up upon a, um, this law that was found in the first century because this was a common problem. Rome had established a law that dealt with the crime of sowing darnel in the wheat field as an act of revenge. It constantly happened. When you didn't like somebody, you go and you bought darnel, and when nobody is looking, you would sow it on top. Why? To frustrate the crop. And it takes a while before you find out what's going on. 
You think it's wheat, but when harvest comes, you figure out, wow, that it, it doesn't match up. So we looked at the good, the evil, and now the surprising. After some time, but when the wheat sprouted, after some time had gone by, the owner discovered that the tares, right, that the, the, the grain here is, is weeds, they're tares. And really, the servants, it says here, the servants who went there and who looked at the field. And it's interesting, these were the servants who probably prepared the ground. Maybe they even sowed the seed, right? They, they know that, listen, before the owner sowed or the, the owner commanded them to sow seed or gave them the seed to sow, they know that there weren't any weeds. Why? Because they prepare the ground. They, they would till the ground. They would make sure that it's good soil. And they're surprised, not so much that there are weeds, because I don't know if any one of you is into gardening, but regardless, whether you're not or whether you are or you're not, weeds grow all the time. You pull them out, and guess what? Next week, they're back there. They're always there. So I think the the surprise here, they're not surprised at the presence of weeds, like, wow, there are weeds, but the abundance, the accumulation of weeds. How come there's so much? Look at this. Did you give us the right seed? Didn't you plant the good seed? How come? Where did they come from? This was not natural. In other words, see, they're, they're basically saying someone else had intentionally came, right? And he sowed over. And they're concerned. Why are they concerned? They're concerned because they're concerned for the wheat. The weeds are going to overtake the wheat. So they ask him a question. Can we go and can we take care of the weeds out of our concern for the wheat. And Jesus answers their question. He says, they ask him who did this and Jesus knows, right? The owner knows, I didn't do it. The enemy has done this, verse 28. The enemy has done this. It's not Jesus who sowed any evil right in his field. The fact that evil is mixed in with the kingdom is devil's doing. Devil did it. So the slaves have an idea. Please command us. We will go take care of it. We will remove it. The owner says, no, he has another plan. No, leave it until the harvest. And at that time, I'm not going to command you to do it. I'm going to command reapers to take care of the harvest. The reapers will bind. The reapers will throw it into the furnace and they will burn it. But the wheat, but the wheat they will gather into the barn. And we don't really get that here, but at the very end of the verse, verse 30 here, it says, first gather up the tares and bind them into the bundles, into uh, bundles to burn them up. But, and, and then the original, the emphasis is on the wheat, the wheat, but the wheat. You care about the wheat? I got the wheat. I care for the wheat. I make sure that the wheat is going to get gathered and it's going to be placed in my barn, not the burning furnace. I will take care of it. And so the emphasis here, church, of this parable is not so much on the, the wheat as his slaves see it, but on the weeds. Where did they come from? The parable helps us to understand the nature of the kingdom today, 
Christ's kingdom. The citizens of his kingdom, they must endure this mixed planting for a time. And as his kingdom grows in this world, evil grows with it. He sowed tares. The enemy sows false representation of the, of the good thing, of the good seed. Wheat-like weeds in the very place where God sows good seed. But it's interesting that Jesus seems to allow his enemy to try to do his best in order to destroy the harvest while he, God, works to preserve it. Why does evil exist and continues to abound today, we ask? Jesus gives us an answer. The fault is not with the king. The fault is not with Jesus, but with the devil because he is king's arch enemy. I have an enemy, Jesus says. And that's why evil exists. Don't be surprised, not just at the presence, at the abundance. So that's the parable. So long as believers are in this world, we will face opposition of all forms of evil. And this opposition will remain until the harvest. We'll talk about the harvest in just a second. But there's another aspect here. There's another aspect in this parable that it's not just like, hey, uh, understand in the mystery of God's kingdom that there will be presence and abundance of evil, but there's a promise. He gives them a promise here in the explanation. Don't be surprised but also, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's gonna happen at the end. And so that comes our second point, then the promise. Evil will be judged while righteous will be preserved. Evil will be judged. You want judgment? Did the Old Testament uh, prophesy about the coming king who will judge? Yes, that will take place. All as bad as the infestation might be, as prosperous as the weeds may seem today, you need to consider the end is what Jesus is teaching here. So in verse 26 here, we come to this transition. Jesus leaves the crowd and he goes back to the house. It's the same house that he got out of in verse one, that day Jesus went out of the house, probably. And so he goes to the sea, he gets in the boat, he shares four parables with with the crowds, four parables with the crowds. And then he packs up his stuff. He goes into the house. His disciples come to him and he gives them four parables inside the house. So four parables for the crowds, four parables for his disciples with private interpretation. He wants them to understand, right? To them is given the understanding, the mysteries of the kingdom, but not to the rest of the crowds. So four to the crowds, four to the disciples. And as soon as Jesus comes into the house, his disciple, disciples come and they ask, explain to us the parable of the tares. Notice what they call this parable, the parable of the tares. Although they did not fully understand the parable, the fact that they call it the parable of the tares shows that they realize that the major emphasis here in this parable are the weeds, not the wheat. All the disciples were wondering why the wicked weeds would be allowed to coexist in this part of the kingdom with the good wheat? Why not get rid of them today, right now? And again, I want you to notice something in verse 36, that the explanation of these parables is given only to the disciples. They are the ones to whom the mysteries of the kingdom of, are given. Verse 11, Jesus said to them, to you it has been granted, given by grace to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Why was it given to them? 
Is it because they had the intellect to understand? Is it because they were smarter than others? No, it had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with their recognition of something. They come with a level of humility. I need to know what you're offering, Jesus. I want to understand more. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they're like, no, we got this. We understand the kingdom. When the king comes, he will wipe out everyone. And Jesus comes and he says, not yet. Not yet. I will do that, but not yet. And if you're not with me, you will be wiped out. And so disciples come and they're like, hey, show us, explain to us, very humble. And and Jesus gladly gives his insights. He begins by identifying in verse 37 key elements. And notice that if you were paying attention, he doesn't identify every element. Like he doesn't identify the slaves, for instance, or this, this sequence of the son of man, sowing and then the enemy sowing. He doesn't talk about the night, and, and, but he does address specific uh, key elements uh, as he sees fit, something that should grab our attention. Why is he addressing these things and not others? And so I want us to kind of go through them. The sower, he says, the sower is the son of man. Son of man, Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. The son of man is the messianic title from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Basically, Jesus says, I'm the sower. And if that wasn't clear from the beginning, now it's clear. I am the one who comes and sows good seed. The field, he says, is the world. The field is the world. And that's where, as they're listening, they're wondering, wow, the field is the world. Wasn't the field supposed to be Israel? Isn't it to Israel? King, king comes to Israel alone. And Jesus says, no, the the field is the world. It's going to get more uh, wider than Israel, right? And and then also notice that the field is not the church. He doesn't say the field is the church. Many apply this parable to this concept of true and false, right, uh, disciples in the church. And that is true. That is true. Unfortunately, some sitting here this morning do not know Christ, And if they don't surrender to Christ, they will perish like the sons of the evil one. That is true, but that is not what he's talking about here. It's the whole world, the whole world. And it's interesting that many think that um, the only domain that Jesus Christ exercises any authority over is the church. And here he says, no, I own everything. Jesus owns the whole world. That his field, right, what is this field? It's the place of all human life and activity, which is his kingdom. He owns everything. The believers and unbelievers are his, and that's why unbelievers will give an account to God. Why? Because they were created in his image. That's why. He owns the entire field. He claims the whole world. And then look at this. Both the good and the bad seeds represent people. Two kinds of people. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom. Remember earlier in the first uh, parable here, the good seed represented the word. The good seed is the word of the gospel, the word of the kingdom. Now the good seed here um, are the sons of the kingdom, right? Assuming that they heard the word and they responded to the king by believing in him. So they're the sons of the kingdom. And, and I want you to notice something, sons of, sons of, what, what does that mean? 
It means those who belong to the kingdom, those who possess the characteristics of the king. They, belong, they look like him, right? Like father, like son, right? There's something there. There's a resemblance. Like you belong to the kingdom. Why? Because you are of the king. You look like the king. And you might recall earlier in Matthew chapter 8, The Jews considered themselves to be sons of the kingdom. They belonged to the kingdom, they thought, just by their heritage. They had the blood, royal blood flowing through them. They were of Israel. And so the kingdom was promised to Israel. And as the king comes, they're like, right on, we're in. Why? Because we got the blood. We got the right blood type. But Jesus says in chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, that many Gentiles will come and will recline, will feast with Abraham, Isaac, um, and Jacob. And then he says this, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out. You who claim to be in the kingdom by mere heritage, you will be cast out. You will be judged. Here in, in 1338, the sons of the kingdom are not those who get into the kingdom through natural relations, through blood, but those who get into the kingdom by faith in the Messiah. They enter by trusting the king. The king preaches the word. The people respond in faith to the word. Therefore, they are planted as sons of the kingdom. Today, we call them Christians. That's why we're called Christians. We belong to Christ. We represent Christ, and by grace, we Look like Christ, Christians. But the tares and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. They are those who are under the devil's sway, who will not understand Christ's words, who will not follow him, who will not trust him. Those who openly oppose him and fight against his kingdom, they are characterized as those who possess features that belong to the evil one, belong to the devil. And notice he goes on and he identifies what those features are in verse 41. When the son of man sends forth his angels and they will gather up out of his kingdom, all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, who are these people? Well, if we were careful in our study of Matthew, we already went through a passage on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus identifies the lawless ones as the false prophets and those who perform miracles. Many will say to me in Matthew 7, Jesus says, on that day, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many miracles? And then what does Jesus say? And I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, or you who practice lawlessness, exactly the same thing that he says here, those who commit lawlessness. Later on in Matthew 23, in Matthew 23, Jesus will go on to really judge the initial judgment, pronouncement of judgment upon the scribes and Pharisees, and he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outward appeared righteous to men, but inward you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Lawlessness. You pretend to be like you're the son of 
a king, sons of the kingdom. Maybe some of you try to look like one, but you're not. In John 8, 44, Jesus pronounces this to the same group. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Why are you the son of the devil? Because you are of the father, right? The father is your devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. That's the characteristic feature. You want to do what he wants to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whoever, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies, and you do the same thing. That's why you're lawless, is because you belong. You're in the realm of his kingdom. And that's why he says, the one who planted them, the enemy is the devil. The enemy is the devil. He has his seed, and it represents him. God, friends, has an arch rival who seeks to destroy the work of God's kingdom. I think we need to be reminded, church, that we have an enemy. We have an enemy. If you're a Christian, you have an enemy. You know, we often hear, especially nowadays, of the various enemies we have. Virus, the invisible enemy. Friends, we got a greater problem than the virus. And his name is devil, Satan. Satan is real. He is real. As, as many try to make Satan, the concept of Satan, the person of Satan trivial, as if he's some kind of uh, mythical character, no, he is real. And Christ spent talking about hell and Satan a lot more than he talked about many of the other topics that we so cherish as believers. And this enemy he sows as well, God's kingdom today, friends, include the real and the imitation, the genuine and the counterfeit. And this condition will go all the way to the end. Satan does and performs counterfeits for all divine reality. He sows the world with those who look like, talk like, and to some extent walk like the original disciples. The kingdom is mixed. And that's why it's not surprising that for the rest of the New Testament, those who write the holy word, apostles, they talk about the fact that evil exists, that evil people exist, that false teachers exist, false workers exist, false gospels exist, false doctrines, false religions, all kinds of counterfeits and friends, they all affect us. The good and the evil, they coexist together. And think about this, that the unbelievers, they experience to some extent the same common grace that we all experience. Remember what he, Jesus said in Matthew 5? That God sends the rain on both the just and the unjust, the righteous and the... And you would think, God, why? Why do you allow evil to take the air that you give, breathe that, right, and use it not to advance the kingdom, but to do harm to your kingdom. Why do you allow that? And that's the question that remains all the time. But God said, you're not the judge. Leave the judging to me. That's God's plan. We can't go out and start ripping out the tares. Don't do that. It's not your job. Christians are called to rebuke evil, but they're not called to execute judgment upon the weeds. No, that is his job. 
I, I remember in, in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus and his disciples, they walk into the Samaritan village and Luke writes that they did not receive Jesus. They did not receive Jesus because he was a Jew. And James, and, and look what he says, James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> Immediate judgment. They don't receive you, Jesus. Let's burn them today. Let's not wait till the end. Let's burn them now. And look what Jesus does. He turns to them and he rebukes them. He rebukes them. Why? Because it wasn't their job. When we see evil all around us, sometimes we think of ways. How do we eradicate it? And there are some people who, who look to uh, politics and to other institutions. Some people say, man, maybe if we just elect more Christian uh, politicians, maybe judges or, or other leaders, we maybe change the justice system or maybe we can create some social programs that will impact our society. And yes, friends, we are called to be salt and light in our society, absolutely. But as history tells us, some churches throughout history, they sought to eradicate evil by committing evil, by committing evil, killing people for the name of Christ. God promises, I will deal with that. Don't leave it alone. Jesus takes care of the judgment of tares. And so he says, so just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, this will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather them out of his kingdom, out of the world, all stumbling blocks, and those who commit lawlessness, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be gnashing of teeth, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Friends, hell is no imaginary place. Hell is real. It is prepared for the devil, and it is prepared for his angels, and we find out here that it is also prepared for the sons of the evil one, those who are not with Christ. You know, fire causes perhaps the greatest pain known to humanity, and the fiery furnace into which this unrepentant sinner is cast represents the incruciating torment of hell. And we read in Mark chapter nine that the fire of hell is unquenchable. In Matthew 25, later on, we will read that the fire of hell is eternal. It is real. It's not a mystery, it's not a story, it's not a myth. Hell is real. But the point that we need to see here, friends, is that evil will be destroyed by the righteous sons of the kingdom will be preserved for us, for the disciples. The mystery is, yes, it exists now, but it will be wiped out. There will come a day at the end of the age where it will be destroyed, and guess what? The wheat will not be harmed. The slaves were worried about how the wheat will survive among the weeds, and Jesus assures them, he says, the righteous at the end will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father it will be destroyed. The righteous will reign in glory. The righteous will reign in glory. It is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 12, verse three. The promise to the righteous is they will shine radiating the beams of the glory of Christ. Christ is the ultimate light and the believers will be making much of Christ throughout all eternity. 
So Christians, don't be surprised at the abundance of evil around you, but be encouraged. Christ will preserve you for glory and judge all evil. Until then, friends, it can be frustrating, right? When our loving Father sends the rain both on the just and the unjust. And for some, it really hits home. Um, I talked to a number of people whose, whose children are, are, are impacted by the evil around them. I mean, we're impacted, but all kinds of false heresies and doctrines are being propagated in the world that are anti-gospel. And we see that our very loved ones are beginning to enjoy some of that. Going away. And you wonder, Lord, why? 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 But here's the promise. Circle verse 43, the righteous will shine. Those who are the sons of the kingdom, they will shine. They will not be outdone by the weeds. They will shine. Which brings us to this third point, the principles. Principles. And I want us to just spend some time on that. Number one, three things I want to say here. Christian, Christ is your righteousness, so believe. What do we learn? What do we pull out? Number one, we, we need to learn here again and again that Christ is our righteousness. I want you to focus on this. Then the righteous, verse 43, then the righteous will shine. What does it mean to be righteous? I mean, is it based on merit? Is it based on obedience? The, the question we should be asking, what gets you into the kingdom? What qualifies you as righteous? I mean, this parable here teaches, and the entire, the entire context of Matthew, it teaches that it has nothing to do with your merit. You don't get into the kingdom because you are righteous. You were planted. That's what the parable teaches. These sons of the kingdom, they were planted. You didn't do anything to become wheat. You were planted as wheat. Jesus planted you. Friends, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Christ. Because earlier on in Matthew 3 and Matthew 5, Jesus says, I came to fulfill all righteousness. I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And guess what? The righteousness that I possess and I freely give you, it succeeds, supersedes. It is so much better than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And so believing, believing, we say by grace alone, through faith alone, believing in this Jesus is the key to righteousness. You want to be righteous? You want to shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of the father? This is the key. You need to know the king. The king gets you in. His righteousness gets you in. He plants you. That's the source. Jesus is the source of righteousness and he grants it to anybody who believes. Oh, and the call for us now then is to rejoice in this. If you are a son of the king, rejoice. Praise the Lord. He planted you and he promises to protect you. Continue, right, to believe and take heart. Christ is your righteousness. But I also want you to see that Christ is your, your preservation. Christ is your preservation. So persevere. Christ preserves you. Since he planted you, he will protect you. That's, the, that's what he's trying to communicate. You worry about the weed, I got the weed. Even though so much weed 
is sprouting and, and it's giving fruit, guess what? Whomever I've planted, no matter how dense the presence of the weed, I promise that they won't cause you harm, ultimate harm. He planted you for a reason. Wherever he planted you, in whatever corner of the world, of his field, he planted you for a reason. And later on in Matthew 28, he says, all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. I own everything. Therefore, when I plant you, you go and you proclaim, right, the gospel. Make my name known. That's why we're planted. The good seed is to go and to influence evil with good, with the gospel. And I hope and you are, that you are thrilled with, with the, the sense of um, purpose that you have as a good seed. You're not just here waiting for the harvest. You are here in order to continue to be involved in the propagation of the kingdom as we will see in other parables. But also here's one thing. As you do, as you continue to influence, as you continue to affect, persevere in faith and obedience, remember this. We are to trust that as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, he says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Sometimes it seems like there's more evil than good. And like Asaph, as we read in Psalm 73, he looks and he says, yeah, I don't know if I made the right choice. I don't know if I made the right choice. And we need to get back to scripture. When did Asaph's mind change? When did his perspective change? He says, when I got into the sanctuary, when I pondered on the word of God, then my mind changed. I perceived the end. I perceived the end. Friend, the Lord knows how to rescue you and preserve you and then present you in all of his glory spotless before him. He does that. There's a verse in Jude that comes to mind. Jude, the letter to Jude, you might remember he's talking about false prophets, false religion, those who are condemned. And then in light of that, you may walk away with a question, how will the righteous survive in light of the propagation, proliferation of, of evil. And then Jude closes with verse 24. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Oh, he wants to remind these believers that it's all about Christ. They got in through Christ. They will persevere in Christ. When the right time comes, and the owner knows when that time is, he will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom whatever doesn't belong in it, and we will be glorified with him. But then there's also... A warning. Unbelievers, tears, weeds. Christ is your judge, so beware. Christ is your judge, so beware. 
Look at the very end of verse 43. This is how Jesus closes his explanation. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. The the warning of this parable is a dreadful one. If if a man or, or a woman is not one of the sons of the kingdom, that is someone who has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, has not trusted him, is not following him today, and is not obeying him today, then they are among the tares who will be gathered up and judged at the end of the age. He who has ears, let him hear. Friends, Jesus is showing great mercy in speaking these words now when you can hear and believe. We are still during the part of the age, this age of the kingdom where the harvest, when the final day, when the day of judgment has yet to come. And so the announcement and the invitation goes out to all. Jesus is merciful. He who has ears, let him hear. Where is your righteousness? It's ultimately and only in Christ. Don't wait till that last day to find out. Friend, draw near to God in faith. So there's a twofold exhortation. There's an exhortation to us Christians to take heart, to persevere, not to be surprised at the abundance of evil. And then there's an exhortation to sinners. Sinner, take heed. God is patient today. The gospel is available to you. But judgment is coming. Judgment is coming, and are you prepared? I hope you consider these words. Answer in the privacy of your own heart. If you have any question, come talk to us. We would love to pray. We would love to explain more. But for us believers, we're secured in Christ. Trust Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your purposes. We thank you for your plans. And sometimes it doesn't make immediate sense, yet you explain to us the mysteries. The glory is coming and judgment is coming as well. And both need to take heed. Help us, Father, I pray, to continue to trust you, pray for our loved ones who are captured by the devil to do his own will. We know that nothing is outside of your control and so we pray that you would turn a lot of our friends and family um, from sons of darkness, sons of the evil one, into the sons of the kingdom who would cherish Jesus Christ and encourage us in faith to persevere, to look forward to the time when you will call us home and when we will shine like the sun because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his holy name, amen.